Thank you for joining IAB There. And now your host, Angelina Ng. Over to you, Angelina. Hi, today is August 12th. I'm Angelina Ng, VP of Measurement and Attribution here at IAB and IAB Tech Lab. Welcome to IAB There, our daily live stream in which we connect the digital advertising ecosystem. Our topic for today is emerging challenges around cookie and IDFA deprecation with our special guest, Barry Adams, General Manager of BidSwitch. Let's bring Barry onto the screen. Hi, Barry. Hi, how are you? I am great. Love the background, by the way. Yeah, it's a little different from the last one. Actually, before we get well, started, I should tell you, I'm in our office now, and I have a, my colleague, Joe Meehan, who is your former colleague, asked me to say hello. So, hi from Joe. <laughs> hi, Joe. As well as everyone else I know out there, but um, so yeah. uh, let let's start off with uh, what is BidSwitch? I mean, uh, you know, you and I talked about this, but uh, I've heard of BidSwitch. I've been on the agency side, and typically, uh, at least in my role when I was in AdOps, I dealt with predominantly the DSPs, the programmatic team, most likely dealt with you directly. But what is BidSwitch? What do you guys do? Yeah, this is it's a tricky question because we are genuinely unique in the ecosystem. So probably the easiest way to answer the question is to give you a bit of a history lesson, if that's all right. Um, so if you go back, we're part of IponWeb, and IponWeb has been around for a very long time. So the company started, I think, in 2001, and it started getting involved in ad tech sort of 2003, 2004. And it was very involved in the early days of programmatic and actually building the platforms from an engineering perspective that formed the backbone of, of programmatic trading. So if you go back to Right Media, um, our CEO, Boris, was very closely involved with Brian O'Kelly and building that. That then later became part of Yahoo. Uh, if you look at Invite, which later became part of Google, that was also built by us. And so from those early days, we started to build more and more of these platforms predominantly SSPs and DSPs, but also DMPs and then kind of components of media trading platforms. And that business sort of exploded, right, over, over a 10-year period or more as there was this proliferation of programmatic and of all these platforms that kept popping up. So that was kind of the core business. And it was starting to face a challenge, which is with all these new platforms kind of coming up, there was a challenge around, first of all, integrating supply into demand. And typically that was always done through direct integrations, right? So an SSP would directly integrate with the DSP. And we were supporting all of these different platforms as IponWeb. And effectively, they would run into scaling and ramping issues because it's very time consuming to do all these direct integrations. And so you'd have long queues and you'd be having you know, larger players struggling to integrate with some of the smaller ones and vice versa. So BidSwitch actually started almost as like an internal product. And the idea was to create a kind of a normalization layer in the middle, like between the supply and demand side that would allow a single point of integration into multiple uh, platforms on the other side. So one SSP could integrate to BidSwitch and have access to the demand from multiple DSPs and sort of the other way around. And so the, the early days of it was just really providing that connectivity and then, you know, more and more work got put into BitSwitch to make the service sort of stronger. So we started doing things like, you know, fraud detection and removal, because effectively, um, aside from the, the, you know, not wanting fraud, there was also the, the case of just this is a cost to pass that traffic around. And so 
then it really became more of an efficiency play over time because now if we kind of fast forward a bit more with the explosion of all these platforms and just a, a mass of supply out there. And if you look at various areas like display advertising, for example, where you have header bidding that came around a few years ago and sort of, again, really exploded the volume of traffic out there and a lot of sort of duplication, you really have challenges mostly on the buy side. And the challenges are that you've got humongous volumes of traffic out there. And in principle, a DSP would like access to all that traffic, but without having to pay for all that traffic, if that makes sense. So uh, the service we provide is primarily a, a lot of value to the DSP who says, look, I want to be able to access inventory from anywhere in the world, any format, any type of, of inventory, and but I don't necessarily want to have direct integrations with every platform out there, right? So you may... You may want you know, some handful of direct integrations because they're key and strategic, but for a lot of the other stuff, what you actually want out of that supply source is rather limited. So you don't want all of it. So what we've spent a lot of time doing is building up our machine learning capability. And what that does is we listen to basically everything out there. So we're absorbing a lot of that cost and we route only the traffic that is basically what the buyer is likely to bid on and win on. So our machine learning is constantly optimizing at the level of each DSP to take all the traffic we have and optimize it just for what they're going to be able to use and have value. Of. So it's, it's really saving a lot of money in terms of the infrastructure costs um, of listening to all that traffic for a DSP. But also there's, you, you could call it some of the other overhead and operational overhead of dealing with it, which is, all the contracting that you have with all these different partners, partnership maintenance, discrepancy handling, billing and invoicing, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, when we, we kind of jokingly say that BitSwitch is almost like a pain absorber for DSPs, where they don't necessarily want to deal with all that on their own, or they don't have the bandwidth, or they don't have a strong enough uh, interest in some of the supply, for example, but they still want access. Uh, sorry, there's a drag car outside. So now you talked about SSPs and DSPs, and so yep. who are primarily your 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 who are who are your primary clients? Are they predominantly DSPs or the SSPs or or others? Yeah, it's a good question. So we we are we're, we're they're all partners in the sense that we're integrated with all these partners. So we have at this point we've actually reduced the number of connections for reasons I can discuss later. But we have over three hundred integrations, and they're roughly equal between SSPs and DSPs. So it is all the usual suspects that you can probably name, um, starting with Google sort of on the large end down to sort of niche SSPs, for example, in you know, Southeast Asia or um, that are specialist SSPs in a specific area. And you know they're only really specialized around one type of inventory. Um, so it really covers the gamut. And like, you know, in terms of the scale, if you look at what we're listening to, if you get into Q4 and it's like peak period, we'll be having on an average day, something like 9 million QPS coming through. So, you know, depending on how your infrastructure is set up, the cost of managing and listening to all that traffic is seven figures and it can be high seven figures. So it's, it's a lot, right? And so for many DSPs, there's a real constraint on what they can actually handle in terms of their infrastructure. Um, and they most will not be able to handle what we listen to. So that's where the optimization comes in. So to your question, we kind of view the primary client as the DSP, but SSPs are extremely important partners there because without that supply, there is no service. So 
you know, we, we do what we can to support the, the supply side and bring in the tools that, that will help them uh, ramp up the trading and optimize what they do with the buy side. Uh, but ultimately, it's really, the, I'd say the predominant value sits on the, on the DSP side. And what are the uh, features or functionalities that you, um, so you talk about managing the volume, but what other capabilities uh, do you manage? Yeah, so it's it's a few things. The, on the technical side, you know, it's it's all it's all this machine learning and optimization stuff. But also, we're always kind of very quick to upgrade to the latest specs from the IEB or OpenRTB. So we've been supporting 3.0 for a while now. Um, we always adopt the latest sort of inventory that's being traded. So we were very early on native, probably ahead of the market on a lot of that, as an example. Um, but beyond that, we're doing fraud detection, malware detection. Um, we do uh, a decent amount of heavy lifting around just managing all these clients. So we, we're a media clearinghouse for a lot of the DSPs. So you know, we basically handle the, the payments and the collections, all of that discrepancy handling, all the investigation and, and uh, management of that is part of it. Uh, and then we have other tools, for example, around deals management. So we have an API. We're actually talking to some of your colleagues about whether or not it makes sense to, to look at it as a standard for the industry. Uh, so deals-based API that allows for you know, frictionless deals trading, because as everyone who trades PMPs knows, they can break, they can cause trouble, and troubleshooting deals is pretty painful. So we're, we're constantly upgrading tools around that to make that trading quite seamless. Um, yeah, so that's a few of them. Um, now, what I know that there's been questions, uh, especially around the digital ecosystem, around uh, data transparency and cost and, and kind of the, the, the chain of, of, of fees from, from different systems to different systems. What do you say to those that are, are trying to uh, minimize fees and platform fees and, and, and don't, under, uh, don't have a clear understanding of uh, why there should be platform fees and service fees in the middle when most of the, the marketers want their dollars going towards working media. So really being in the hands of the publisher side. Yeah, no, it's a great question. So look, I mean, it, it's, it's especially been challenging, I would say for us, because historically we've really been in kind of the middle of the middle. So very well known by SSPs and DSPs, much less well known by say publishers or agencies and really almost unknown by brands. So when it, when it comes up about what, what's going on in the supply chain and where are the fees, um, it's, a, it's a valid question. But, you know, I always kind of wonder, what is it that they're trying to achieve? Because, and, and I probably will get to the topic of SPO at some point, because I think it's front and center of this. You really got to look at what the objectives are of, of these different brands. So transparency, 100% makes sense, and, and I agree with it. But there's sometimes an assumption that anything in the middle uh, in that, of that is somehow illegitimate. And as we know, all of us in, in the ad tech industry, there are dozens of vendors who are adding value in the supply chain in various kinds of ways. So, you know, whether it's through, you know, brand safety tools or you know, viewability and measurement products, all the, um, they, they're not, you know, they aren't themselves a DSP or an SSP or a publisher, but they're facilitating the value exchange between supply and demand. So we think we have a very firm place in that value exchange. Part of it is due to the fact that, of what I said, which is we're saving a lot of money on the buy side. So if you were forced to listen to all the traffic you want access to, your costs would increase, like I said, by seven figures a month, for example. 
So somehow that cost would be passed on. Now, I don't know how exactly it would be passed on, but presumably it increases the cost of media to the buyer. So in some sense, what we're trying to do is keep the cost of media down for buyers by providing a super efficient scaled pipe into supply. Um, so, so that's part of the answer. Uh, there's also, you know, where you have other values that we bring, other value we bring in. So we, we have a, a bid shading service that we offer for free to DSPs who don't necessarily bid in an optimal way into first price environments. So that again, when they implement this tool, they're able to save, you know, double digits against um, that medium. So there's a lot of value added that comes into it. And so the challenge, I guess, for us is, is really about education because at the end of the day, we're relatively small business. Um, iPhone web is about 400 people. And I think we're about 70 now. So, uh, we don't have the bandwidth to speak to every agency or every publisher out there. So, you know, this sort of exercise is helpful and just educating the, the basically the rest of the ecosystem about the value we bring is, is important. Now, um, you've heard the news, I assume you've heard the news around the deprecation of cookies with Google's privacy sandbox uh, 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 announcement, as well as in, uh, Apple, uh, and their IDFA deprecation. What are your thoughts on that? How is that going to impact the programmatic ecosystem? Yeah, it's a it's the topic du jour, I suppose. So um, I'll see if I can bring anything new to the topic. So not surprised particularly that these these things took place. I think many of us sort of saw something like this coming. So it's not overly alarming. I think the drive towards privacy, and if we just take a step back and look at the challenges that we as an industry face, I mean, I would just say one word sums it up and that's trust. So whether whether we have a trust issue with brands or agencies or even publishers in some case who worry that there's not enough working media, uh, that's a big issue. And it, it's related to consumer privacy. It's related to all the things we talk about with transparency and all the good work that the IEB does to help improve that. Um, but ultimately, I think we can see this as a symptom of, of all those those forces. So it's not a surprise, and I think there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of activity around how to address this. And you know, the way we look at it, there seems to be broadly a couple of ways to, to kind of break it down. On the one hand, you have the idea of sort of replacing the cookie with another user-based ID. And if you think of the the Trade Desk ID 2.0, which I think is more or less email-based at some level, um, you have that phenomenon, and and there will be. I would imagine at least, and I think you'll start to see it, kind of a slight bifurcation where you have premium publishers who are able to secure login data from users, and they have a pretty good understanding who those users are. They're going to be able to create these environments where there's more targetability, more addressability, and higher CPMs as a result. And so for some brands, that's going to be really important. They're, they're really going to be focused on trying to reach the right audience. And some of these premium brands who have a big focus there, I think more of their trading will accrue to those environments where you have that. Uh, walled gardens will win, in my view, somewhat sadly. So I think it's 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 a tough story for a lot of independent ad tech uh, it, without some kind of replacement for that. Um, the other thing is, of course, contextual and behavioral signals that aren't user specific should grow in importance. And if you look at something like Turtle Dove or Sparrow, effectively what they're doing is some form of generating a cohort based on you know non-user parameters like behavioral and, and contextual um, that will help and improve um, the targetability or addressability. 
but they won't be kind of full replacements for what third-party cookies can do today. But the, the bigger question I have is just, so where do these budgets go? So if we imagine that, okay, you know, there's, there's slightly less addressability or targetability with whatever happens through these contextual, you know, rolled up IDs, um, marketers still have to decide where to put their money. And digital still seems more and more the right place to put it, particularly when you look at coronavirus, right? So I think we're, we're actually, our, in our business in specifically, we're actually have grown year on year. Um, and we're at something like 15 to 20%, depending on which day you're looking at, over last year. So we're still seeing the growth. And I think, you know, despite some of the pullback that brands may have for various concerns about coronavirus, digital is just kind of a, a logical place to go. And trading, in no matter what area of media you're talking about, I believe will continue to automate, right? So, you know, it's happening with TV at a much more accelerated pace. You'll see it happening with digital out of home more. So we, you know, we helped build a, a, an early stage SSP a couple of years back for digital at home. We've done the same for linear TV with Dish back a while ago. So, you know, I think you'll just see more going into it. So how that gets spread out again is is going to be a big question mark. You know, like I said, Walled Gardens will probably pick up more. Contextual becomes more important, and but then I think you'll have, you know, these premium publishers and more user based ID consortia probably form that will still provide some level of, of solid targeting uh, at the user level. And so, yeah, it's a, it'll be a complex picture. We don't quite know how it'll play out. So from our point of view, where BidSwitch sits, because we're this kind of interoperable thing in the middle, we want to be able to support anything that's happening. So we're working very closely with um, you know, Project Rearc and the Tech Lab, and we're engaged with all of the other players out there who have ID solutions of their own, and we're kind of looking at everything and trying to understand where are the cards likely to fall. I mean, I think there was just an announcement or uh, an interview yesterday with Google saying, look, that sandbox proposal and the, the Chrome um, deprecation timeline could be a little fuzzier. So maybe it's not exactly two years. So it seems like there could be some wiggle room. Um, with Apple and the IDFA, you know, maybe a little bit of a different story. It seems Apple's being fairly... Um, stringent on how they want to do this and having the opt-in as a requirement is surely going to impact um, some level of the ability to use that for targeting. So I think, you know, if you're on the, surely on the app side of, you know, in-app, mobile in-app, and that's where you do all your trading, there's a lot of concern about where you go next, right? So, so how are you able to still run your business and scale your business? And I've heard a couple of concepts and proposals. Most of them are sort of in early stages. Uh, you know, I think obviously there's the simple things of just trying to make sure that people somehow opt in and we're hoping that they do. Um, you know, so, I, you, and maybe Apple will soften over time. It's hard to say. They sort of play a little bit less friendly typically in the ecosystem. So I think that will remain a challenge for us, particularly in-app, mobile in-app is a decent portion of trading, but it's not, you know, a reduction there won't be fatal. It would be, you know, it won't be nice, but I think it's something that we can we can weather. So a lot of things is needed around that and to see what kinds of other signals, maybe things like soft fingerprinting uh, and other sorts of things like that may come into play, but we're not sure uh, at this moment. So what we want to be is extremely open-minded and agnostic about what what does work and what can be supported and what can be scaled. 
So, uh, you know, it's definitely a, a stay tuned kind of issue. And I, I think it's, it's, it's important to, to uh, notify everyone that's, li that's listening about the Partnership for Responsible Adjustable Media. Um, I think that is, that is a, a great uh, uh, collaboration between the 4As, uh, the IAB, uh, the NAI, and WFA, um, which also includes a couple of uh, marketing companies like Ford, General Motors, IBM, uh, and a few other agencies like Google Group Media. Um, I, I think they'll, they'll, you know, we, we've heard, you know, through some of the articles that if you're following through on, on the W3C conversations, that there's not enough representation either on the publisher side or from the buy side. And, uh, yep. um, and, and this organization, Partnership for Responsible Adjustable Media, is, uh, we're hoping, can, can bring those, those voices to the table um, and approach uh, uh, addressing Google, Safari, Mozilla, uh, and all the other browsers and operating systems about what is important and, and, and ensuring that we continue to have a, an open web with, uh, with you know, uh, uh, healthy competitiveness out in the marketplace. And uh, so it will be interesting to see uh, 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 the progress of that. And, and that's just starting. Yeah, yeah. I, look, I, I think it's absolutely vital. So, that, you know, what I love to hear is that actually publishers and brands engaging more, publishers and agencies engaging more. So the, the closer de demand and supply can be in communication and understanding each other's needs, because you, in any marketplace, you still have this tension between a supplier wanting to get the most they can for their product or service and the buyer wanting to pay the least they can for, for that thing. But they converge in many ways, particularly around things like quality, transparency, and all those. So I think it's great news. I, I also, you know, the idea of supporting an, an open web and independent ad tech, I think it's important for, for big reasons that we, we underplay, which is in most industries where you see uh, consolidation and monopolization, you also see an inflation in prices. So I think you can argue that Facebook, for example, in the mobile space has actually increased the cost of media to, to buyers um, because they kind of have a stranglehold on mobile in a large way. So we, it's important to have diversity and competition and lots of small players. And our concern all along has just been we, we don't want to see consolidation go too far because that, that then over time, the, the winners are very few and they take a very large proportion of the winnings. Uh, and and it's, it's not over time, it's not healthy for the economy and for the society. So I think it's, it's, a, it's a big role to bring all these different stakeholders to, together and try and find consensus and agreement on what is important and those things around you know like i said quality transparency developing trust and, and nurturing trust crucial stuff right yeah and which leads into my my next question and we only have a few minutes so i want to get this in supply path sure. optimization you said fpo so in, in case for those that don't didn't understand the acronym what is supply path optimization um and yeah, what are the things that you're hoping uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Good question. So, so you know, SPO supply path optimization. It probably means a lot of different things to different people because you can optimize to many things, right? You can optimize for efficiency and hardware costs, or hops, reducing hops, or auction mechanics, or any number of things. But really, I think what it what it does reflect is just the desire on the part of the buyers to have control and transparency over supply like in a simple way. 
But, you know, if you look at, you know, display is my favorite topic just on that because it's just so obvious. There's a lot of duplication out there on the supply side. And that, and by that, I mean single source duplication. So a single S federating bids out and, and, or bid requests so that, you know, they're actually kind of gaming, gaming the system a bit, or just more, more commonly just multi-source duplication. So the same piece of inventory coming from, you know, dozens of, of exchanges who all have, you know, who all represent the same publisher. So it's a big issue for the buy side. And I think one example, there's two examples I can think of recently that are, that are good in showing how the DSPs are kind of going, wait a minute, this is, this isn't what we want. This doesn't make sense anymore. There's a cost inflation that's, that's kind of out of line. So one is the trade desk with their initiative to say, look, we, from any given exchange, we only want one path to that publisher, right? We don't want five or six. And then um, Media Math has its source initiative, which is even kind of a stronger take on the same um, principle, which is to say, we only want access, one access point to each publisher, not one per exchange, but just one. Now, I think that will take more time, but you know, that's the principle they're sort of driving towards. Um, so it's, it's obviously, it's a big focus now more and more as you're trying to manage your businesses in this constrained environment to really manage those costs. Now you have the other side of it, which is kind of the, call it the demand path optimization. And here with publishers, I see a very mixed story. So some publishers uh, seem to be much more incentivized to just increase the volume and coming in. So they'll take, you know, putting more people into the header, getting more demand in and trying to optimize in that way, um, which is kind of counter to what the buyers want. So there's a tension there, but you do see other publishers, uh, especially some of the top tier ones who are actually saying, no, we actually do have a demand path optimization strategy. We don't want to have any kind of demand coming in. We want to really optimize around some of the things I talked about. So quality demand, transparency, you know, do I know what's going on from who, who are the advertisers that are coming through and all that kind of stuff. So I think you're going to see that tension resolve through Again, more of the, the top tier players will start to move in this direction and you will see a, a pruning of a lot of these, you know, a lot of this duplication over time. And by the way, it's, it's also true if you look at the app space, right? You have relatively small number of apps that are actually kind of monetizable and interesting and they're available on dozens of platforms. And if you look at mediation, you know, this just kind of, it's almost like header bidding again, right? We just have another explosion of, of the inventory and face it a lot of it is duplicative so it's it's an issue and it certainly you know we we started by looking at this from a very engineering geeky kind of standpoint is we'll build a tool that will identify duplication across you know domains and users and then in real time we'll optimize for uh, at impression level to to buy against the, the best impression the challenge we had is that effectively doing this requires all of the trade to run through bid switch. Otherwise, if you're running a bunch of direct integrations, you're not really optimizing in the right way because we're only going to be able to optimize in the traffic connected through us. So instead, so the I'm more assuming, recent. Sorry. So I'm assuming that through through this, uh, you know, you're you're within your own purview. You're looking at reach and frequency and being able to help control some of the over frequencing of of ads for advertisers. <laughs> Yeah, that, that could be one of the use cases for it. But I ultimately, and again, like it depends, there's a lot of variation around how a DSP would want to deploy it. But the bottom line was when we went through this, and this was back a couple of years, a year and a half ago, it didn't really fly for lots of reasons that I, I don't have time to get into. So instead, we've pivoted 
And so our sister company, so another part of iPhoneWeb called the Media Grid is now integrating directly into publishers and that traffic's available through BidSwitch. So what that does is it leverages our very lean, low-cost pipes to deliver publishers' traffic through much the way an exchange does, but we can do it at a very low cost. So this is kind of one of our ways of, of answering the SPO problem is by just giving a low-cost access to publishers through these direct integrations via the media grid. And how much, um, and when, when you talked about, you know, the, uh, the, the number of calls and, and uh, through the supply chain, are you seeing that, um, well, what is your recommendation in terms of how many vendors that they should be uh, delivering their supply through? Um, are, yeah. are you seeing 8, 10, 15? Uh, I thought those days were gone. <laughs> no, they're not gone by any stretch. So, so typically, like it used to go from like 50 to 100 direct connections for some DSPs down to what I think is optimal. It really depends on your business. It depends who your advertisers are and your buyers. But, you know, it, it makes sense. You can cover most of the known universe of supply with sort of, I would say, four to five direct integrations with supply and then the rest of it through a company like BidSwitch because we cover all, we cover everything. Um, and you could argue that you need even fewer than that of the direct integrations, depending on which kind of supply you're looking for. So when we look at, when we do analysis, we see very high levels of overlap in display between the major exchanges. And that should be no surprise. You know, the publishers are happy to work with most of these guys. So, um, yeah, it's, it is, it's an issue out there. I think there's great inroads to being able to solve for this, partly because of things like, you know, um, supply uh, object and uh, sellers.json and ads.txt that gives the buy side more and more visibility into where this is coming from, whether it's resold, um, who's involved in the chain. And I think these will all lead to uh, a greater ability to optimize the supply path for the buyer. So since March, when, when we all, you know, went into lockdown, are mm -hmm. you seeing a, a, an increase in inventory, a decrease in inventory? Are you seeing CPMs go up or go down. What's what's going on uh, based on what what you're what you're able to you know see from your system? Yeah, it's a mixed bag. So um, in general, volumes went up. So everyone's sitting in front of their screens, right? So you have a lot more impressions out there, and so we saw an inflation in the volumes on supply. But at the same time, CPMs probably dropped a bit, especially when you had some of the premium buyers kind of pull back. Some of those premium publishers, especially news-related, took a hit because of coronavirus and issues around brand safety. Uh, so we saw declines there, but then we saw our performance buyers just start to skyrocket, right? So they came in and were, you know, in some cases just, they, you know, I, without naming names, we had one that just grew exponentially over that period, and they're still kind of trading quite strong. So, you know, the declines probably offset the, the, the increases, but there were these sharp kind of pockets of, of big increases. So it was a mixed bag. Um, we're, things are stabilizing out a lot more now, I think. Uh, so we're seeing roughly CPMs are, you know, pretty much getting back to where they were in many cases. Uh, and I think we're, we're hoping, I mean, look, coronavirus is the big unknown still, right? If, if we remain locked in this pandemic into, you know, the rest of this year in 2021, I may change my story, but uh, for now, I think we're starting to see things return back to kind of uh, a little bit more like pre-COVID. 
Um, but there are a lot of changes that are just going to be more persistent over time. One of them being all these remote conversations that everyone's having and the inability to do whiteboarding, which is what we've been spending all morning doing. Uh, yeah. And um, I know that one of one of the things that we've seen here at uh, IAB is that you know CTV inventory or the demand for CTV is on the rise. Are you supporting CTV? Are you guys? Yeah. And if you are. What are some of the things that, that you'd love to point out um, as yeah. far as like being quality of inventory? Yeah, so I think, look, as an industry, I think we have some, some work to do to get CTV kind of going better. So from our standpoint, we're integrated into a, a number of suppliers that have CTV inventory. Much of it looks like video, right? So it, it, right now, because that premium supply is very constrained, the desire for the large buyers to have direct integrations is very strong. So at this moment, you know, we're not, we're not the main source of, you know, where the bigger buyers would go to get CTV. So the trade desk is going to try and integrate with, you know, every broadcaster out there. So, you know, we do have trading and it's active, but I think we need to do more, at least on our end, to facilitate, um, to facilitate better. And it requires industry-wide stuff. So definitions around uh, measurement and so forth is really, I think, a prerequisite before it can scale. And it's not uncommon. I think in audio, you know, we'll have a similar challenge with podcasting and other things, which we know is this super valuable market and, and lots of great inventory. And there's tons of buyers who are, you know, can't wait to get into there. But we have issues around your specific area of expertise, which is, you know, measurement and attribution and placement and all these sorts of things. So we want to do our part and we want to always, you know, collaborate with, the IEB and all of our connected partners to, to figure out how we can reach consensus around these things. But right now there seems to be a lack of standards in many areas. So, you know, I think it's going to explode and grow even more quickly. And it's kind of like, okay, can, can you get in you know, quickly enough to try and get a piece of that pie? So that's, that's what we're focused on. Well, we're at time. I really appreciate you uh, taking today to do this interview. So, um, uh, Thank you again. Right on. Thank you, Angie. Take care of yourself. All right. All right. So, um, for our closing notes, uh, did you know that IAB There is now a podcast? You can listen to our whole archive wherever you get your podcasts, and it's not just IAB There. Uh, on Tuesdays, our IAB Policy Podcast features experts discussing the legal and regulatory developments changing the industry. On Wednesdays, the IAB leaders discuss what er, what's urgent in digital advertising on IAB Real. So go to iab.com backslash podcast to get everything you need. On tomorrow's IAB uh, there, we are excited to welcome Comscore's Bill Livick and LiveRamp Scott Howe to discuss how the industry can help usher in the next generation of TV with IAB's David Cohen. IAB there is a production of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. Our show today was produced by Connor Healy, Joe Ons, John Ward, Carrie Villanova. I'm Angelina Eng. Thanks for watching. Come back next tomorrow because it's 2 p.m. Eastern on a Wednesday. You know it's time to IAB there. Thank you, folks.